This is Animals Voice Podcast, presented by the Ontario SPCA, with 50 communities working together for animal welfare. We've got another great show for you on the way, so put your paws up, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Animals Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McKenzie, and very pleased to be joined by John Dushinsky. John, I've, I've heard you speak a few times. You're the CEO of the Conversation Farm, also CEO of AgriProtein North America. So we're going to talk about those a little bit. You're here to talk with us today, I guess around fundraising overall, but just conversation. So thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here, Kevin. Thank you very much. I feel very fortunate. My team at the Ontario SPCA spent a day with you about a year ago. And, you know, Mark, my uh, colleague, had said, you got to see this guy, you got to see this guy. And within 10 minutes of being in a room with you, I was drinking the Kool-Aid and I got it. I got why Mark was so enthusiastic to have you uh, meet with our fundraising team. So then we had the idea, let's, let's get John out to our yearly conference where we bring together, that's where we are right now, 300 people from the animal welfare industry and being able to fill a room with people and have them drink the Kool-Aid and listen to you, I think is a great opportunity. So thank you for being a guest on Animal's Voice, but thank you for coming to our conference. We really appreciate it. Well, listen, it's a real pleasure. And going back to the the day that we spent together, I mean, thank you firstly for the kind words, but what I take away and what I will always remember for that day that we spent together was we started talking about why anybody should really care about the OSPCA. And we went around the table with the fundraising and marketing guys. I mean, these are the people who are out there pushing the message of why this organization is important. And I remember hearing all of the kind of the messages, the, the traditional reasons for why one should care about the OSPCA. And I just... It wasn't touching me. Right. It wasn't touching me. It wasn't connecting with me. I, I thought I could walk past this on the street and, and, and not care. And then each of the people in that room said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really open up and tell you why I care about dig, animals. Dig deeper. And we dug deep. And we really, really, I was blown away yeah. because we had so much, te- we, there were tears there were in the tears. room. There, there were people were crying there in the were. room. There were. There were tears in the room. And each of the people that told me a story about why they really cared about animals, tears or no tears, hit me here, hit me in the heart. Yeah. And, and I felt, okay, now I, now I understand you guys. And so really the opportunity to come here today is, is a gift for me because what I'm trying to do is to, to sort of capture some of the magic that I felt um, spending the, that day with you um, last year and, and sort of shine it back to the room and say, hi guys, you've got an incredible opportunity here mm-hmm. to create a conversation that people want to be a part of rather than perhaps the sort of quote-unquote institutional conversation that is a little bit easier to ignore. It's a genuine conversation and it's it's organic and it, it comes from within. You know, you were pointing at your heart a second ago. Tell me about the conversation component of your conversation farm, the company. Tell, tell me about that. So we started the conversation farm about five years ago, really with a mad idea, which is could we take the best creative ideas that you find in the world of advertising and marketing and mix them with really powerful social causes and break this idea that the way that you achieve change in the not-for-profit world is raise more money. Yeah, Because I'd been raising a lot of money for a, for a number of years and, and I, I didn't feel that we were solving problems. I felt that we'd kind of, as a not-for-profit world, and this is not just Canadian, this is, this is across the developed world, okay. we were falling into this idea that our priority was to raise money so we could fund our own programs. And we would kind of were losing sight of the fact that what was really important here was to create solutions. Okay. And so we said, okay, so let's see if we can create really powerful ideas that galvanize people, connect with them emotionally, and inspire millions of people 
to want to change the world and have the organizations that are the not-for-profits just be the leaders of that, the, the, the kind of sparks that throw the conversation out there and people pick up on it and, throw, and roll with it and, and take it forward. Because ultimately, you know, I mean, OSPCA, you guys, maybe 5,000 of you across the province, maybe there's less than you, I don't know, mm. including all the volunteers that work. But you're not going to just 5,000 of you. No solve the problem that is animal cruelty no. you need millions of people you need allies and so this is really about saying how do we take a small group of people that are passionate about something and connect them with a much broader audience and the way we do that's through conversation is there an effective way i just listened to you for 90 minutes before this podcast <laughs> i was at your session here at our conference so i feel like i'm about to ask you a question that's impossible to answer within the confines of this but what, what is the most effective way of creating conversation in the nonprofit sector? I mean, it's got to be two-way, right? It does. It has to be two-way. Think about this in the context of uh, an interaction between two human beings. Yeah, you and I are sitting here. Mm -hmm. We're lucky that we know each other. But if we didn't, we'd have walked into the room. We'd have shook, shook hands and, and sort of shared some anecdotes, sized each other up a little bit, tried to work out who each other were. Mm -hmm. And we'd probably have tried to communicate a little bit about what's important to us as human beings. Because that's what we do as human beings. We connect by understanding what other people stand for. Okay. So the way that we build relationships between human beings is by understanding what our values are and what we stand for. And if you stand for something that I resonate with, then I can come and stand next to you okay. and vice versa. Yeah. So then we can build a relationship. If you stand for something that I really don't resonate with, then it's clear that we're, we're not going to be connected as human beings. But if we do stand for the same thing, fabulous. The same goes for the world at large. The same goes for how an organization, which is really just a group of people, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. communicates with a broader group of people, which is the general public. It's about saying, what do we stand for? So instead of one person, what we have is, let's say, 300, 500 people being an organization saying, this is what we're truly passionate about. This is what we care about. This is what we stand for. This is who we are in the world. Then you stand up, and if, you, if you're prepared to stand up and walk the talk on that mm -hmm. and demonstrate it, then other people can look at you and go, hey, I stand for that too. And that's the basis of the conversation because you don't actually have to go out and create a two-way conversation. Okay. What you have to do is work out what you stand for as an organization and then go out and do something in the world that demonstrates that and that other people can look at and go, huh, I never knew that. Now I'm going to be drawn to them. So it go, it's, a, it's a shift from push messaging to pull messaging. Okay. And it's really about turning you guys or turning any organization into a magnet that attracts the people that care about the thing you care about. Okay. And then the trick is give them something to do that keeps them engaged. Okay, so you've just led into the topic I wanted to lead into. It's perfect. You won't take the credit that I believe is, is due to you regarding this topic, but tell me about the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. You were involved in how that came about. So I'd like you to share that with our listeners. But I mean, the creating that viral campaign where you're engaging and you're touching the people that care about something, a common cause, and getting them to take action together. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about your involvement in ALS Ice Bucket Challenge? Yeah, so ALS is a cause that is very close to my heart. The co-founder of the Conversation Farm, Ray Barrett, my, my good, good friend, passed away from it last year. Um, and my mum-in-law passed away from it two years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. So I'm, I'm very close to the cause and I'm very connected to it. We were approached by a guy called Steve Gleason back in 2013. NFL, NFL, NFL player. NFL player, that's yeah. right, that's right. Uh, New Orleans guy um, who, who himself had been diagnosed with ALS. And he'd recognized that there was no champion 
There was nobody standing up for this disease. And back in 2013, 2014, just think back, nobody knew what ALS even was. Right. It was called vaguely Lou Gehrig's disease. Yes. And, and that's right. What, what is this thing? And he said, you know, like Michael J. Fox has been the champion for Parkinson's. We need somebody who can champion ALS and mm -hmm. who can bring it up, turn the volume up on it and bring it up on the register of things that are important and priorities. And he asked us to help him do that. So let me pause there and just turn to the ice bucket challenge for a minute. We had nothing to do with lots of people pouring buckets of water over their head. Right. What we did have something to do with was helping build the community from which emanated this incredibly daft idea of pouring a bucket of water over your head. What's interesting here is when Steve asked us to connect with this, what we found was a community that really didn't exist. Mm -hmm. um, there was no sense that patients and carers of, of ALS had any connection. There was no focal point. There was no rallying point. There was no leadership. There was nobody to follow. So what we did was help Steve hijack the Super Bowl in 2014. So, um, sounds easy. I know. <laughs> yeah. um, and and that was, I mean, that, that was a marketing play. It was about saying, okay, let's let's rally around Steve, who was a football player, other football players. Let's do a short and powerful film and let's send it to some journalists before 5,000 journalists turn up in New Orleans and mm -hmm. let's see if we can capture a, a piece of the market share. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked very well. We had a press conference three days before the Super Bowl itself with 500-odd journalists. So the message got out, the story got out. But what was really important was that here we had the beginnings of a connection. We had the beginnings of leadership. We had somebody standing up and taking a stand. Literally, Steve Gleason was standing for this not being okay. Mm -hmm. That it was not okay that people were dying in their hundreds of thousands from ALS and nobody was doing anything about it. Right. And because he stood for that and was prepared to stand publicly for that, and at this point he was already losing his ability to speak and he still went on film in front of millions of people with that reduced state. Mm -hmm. And the guy, incredible courage. But he was prepared to stand for that. Others stood with him. Right. And so that community began to build. And during that week of the Super Bowl, millions upon millions of people connected with Steve. Now, what that did was create a space where a community could begin to emerge. All these patients and all the carers, people who were living through ALS and who thought that there was no hope, suddenly found hope. And they began to come together. And through social media, that community began to build. And it began to find its voice. And as it found its voice, it started to challenge the status quo. It started to challenge the scientists. And actually, just a few months after the Super Bowl, Steve managed to get 150 of the world's leading scientists on ALS and neurodiseases in a room, and on the stage were seven people with the disease who told the scientists that it was time to get their fingers out of their backsides and start working out how to cure this disease because they were dying. And that was about the power that they felt, the hope that they felt, and, and the strength in numbers that they felt of coming together. And as that community built and as the scientists rose to the challenge and a business plan for a cure for ALS emerged, which most people don't know about, but is, is there now, yeah. there's, there's a cure, a business plan to cure this disease. That community gathered in strength and it gathered in numbers and it really found its voice. And so when one woman on the eastern seaboard of the US poured a bucket of ice water over her head out of frustration at the fact that there was still nothing she could do for her husband who had ALS, she sent it to Pete Frades 
who was one of the sports guys who was part of this network that mm-hmm. had built, who sent it to Steve, who sent it to others, and suddenly you had this community that was spreading it. Now, why did it go viral? It went viral because it was tapping into a community of people who truly cared about an issue, and in which there was leadership because somebody had stood for something and others had been able to stand with him, in this case, Steve. So we had nothing to do with lots of people pouring buckets of water I know, over their head. And I know you could um, say that, but <laughs> there is a genesis of what you were very much involved with that led to all of that activity. And you've got to feel a tremendous sense of pride uh, that you were involved in that. I, I feel an, an incredible sense of optimism mm-hmm. that what happened in the ALS space can be reproduced. Okay. Animal cruelty is the issue that you guys care about. Right. There is absolutely nothing today stopping you being the leader in a space that stands up and stands for something that other people want to stand with, connecting with people around this issue. And as a result of that, creating the kind of movement that we saw around the Ice Bucket Challenge. It's been done before. It wasn't just a one-off. It wasn't about the gimmick, the the bucket water of thing. It's irrelevant. It's about building that really strong, connected and empowered community and giving it hope and giving it voice. You guys can do that and then trust that out of that will come something remarkable because it will. Okay. We're going to take a quick break here on Animals Voice Podcast. We're talking with uh, John Dushinsky. Fascinating conversation about creating conversation. Stay with us. We will be right back. Did you know the Ontario SPCA has an adoption program created by the ASPCA called Meet Your Match? This fun initiative pairs potential adopters with dogs or cats based on their personality. It's like eHarmony for pets. When you take the online Meet Your Match survey, you'll receive a color based on your personality and lifestyle. On your next visit to one of the Ontario SPCA adoption centers, the staff will take your results and help match you up with your perfect pet. For more information on Meet Your Match, please visit meetyourmatch.ontarioSPCA.ca. Welcome back to Animals Voice Podcast. Uh, I'm still your host, Kevin McKenzie, and still speaking with uh, John Dushinsky. Having a conversation, it's not just about fundraising. It's not just about conversations. There's a, there's a genuine piece to this. It's about getting people to care and showing that you care about something. I'm picturing, as you've been answering these, these questions for me, I'm picturing the executive director or CEO from a smaller animal shelter in one of our communities, hearing you and I have this discussion and still thinking, how do I take that? And, you know, yes, of course I care about animals. How do I make the people in my community join me in that caring. How, what do you say to the CEO or the executive director of that small shelter who's wondering, how do I do this? How do I pull it off? Mm. I would hazard a guess that 80 to 90% of the people in that community already care about animals. Mm-hmm. The question is making it such that there is a sense of priority around the issue. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are Mr. and Mrs. Jones living in, in, in a small town and you've got cat, dog, whatever it is, you, you, you've got a connection to animals, you have animals in your daily life. What you might not be thinking about is the cause that the shelter in question is there to fight for. Mm-hmm. And that's this notion of cruelty. Yeah, That's this notion of being there as a quote-unquote sort of sticking plaster slash band-aid when the need is there. Yeah. Okay. And so you have an opportunity to reframe the conversation. If you're a shelter, on a purely functional level, what you do is you take in animals that have been mistreated um, and you look after them and you try to give them a home. That's what your function is. Mm-hmm. But people don't care about function. Right. Yeah, they care about purpose. Okay. Yeah. Again, we were talking in the session earlier about Apple. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here is a company that on a purely functional level takes little microchips and wiring and other stuff and puts it into a small aluminium um, and glass box and sells it to you. That's the function of Apple. They are a technology company. The purpose of Apple is to create computers that are beautiful, easy to use, that connect with people that allow you to do things that you wouldn't be able to other do. Computers for people. Mm -hmm. So if you're the CEO of a shelter, if you walk out into the community, people probably think that your role or your purpose isn't really your purpose. They think it's your function. You're all about saving the dogs and cats. Mm -hmm. Great. That's lovely. If I need to save a dog and cat, I know where to come. What you need to do is you need to explain to them that your purpose is not about saving the dogs and the cats. Your purpose is about changing the way that we as human beings are with our animals. Okay. We are about connecting with animals and caring for animals. And it's about helping Mr. and Mrs. Jones, who've got the dog and the cat in the community, understand that actually one thing unites us all, and it's that we abhor people who mistreat their animals and it shouldn't be allowed Mm -hmm. and that every single one of us has a responsibility in making that happen now how do you get that message across well the first thing you need to do is you need to say hey we might be the shelter but actually what we truly believe is that the end of animal cruelty is possible in this community okay yeah that we can end animal cruelty in this community and we can do it in the next five years or ten years or whatever it happens to be and that we're going to go and bang on doors and talk to people about how animal cruelty exists in our community and how Animal cruelty is, is this incredibly impossible, intolerable, abhorrent thing? How can we possibly let it happen? Mm -hmm. And by standing for something and then allowing other people to stand with you, you actually create the opportunity where, okay, so now we have 50 people. We have 100 people who are starting to look at the shelter, not just as a shelter, but as actually standing for an idea. Okay. And the idea is what changes the world. It's not the function. Okay. Do you think that... There is a targeting that needs to happen of like-minded people. Because I've known people that are concerned with convincing those who are not already drinking the Kool-Aid, uh, to borrow a phrase from earlier, versus just going after your target group of people that are already supporting you and building on that strength. Do, do you have advice for, you know, do you go with the people you've already got sold? Is there a way to convince the people that you don't necessarily have already? Come back to the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge uh, idea for a moment. Okay. What that was all about was creating a community and then empowering that community to feel that it had agency and voice. Okay. So if you're the CEO of a shelter and you maybe have two employees and you've got a population or a catchment area of 500,000 people, sure. you clearly ain't going to be able to solve the problem on your own if there's only three of you. Okay. What you need to do is to find your ambassadors, find your friends, find the people who are closest to you who already believe in this. Mm-hmm. And give them agency to be the ones that take the message out to others. Okay. Yeah? Empower them to have these conversations at their dinner table and spread that conversation as far as they possibly can. Okay. Coming back to targeting, I have a, a sort of a fairly basic, pragmatic way of approaching targeting, which is I tend to break everything up into 20% of people who are going to be rabidly for, 20% of people who will be rabidly against, and 60% of people who will be in the middle. Okay. Yeah? yeah. So you know that 20% of the population really, really, really buys whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Whether they're expressing it or not, they're really on side. Okay. And 20% of the population is never going to be on side ever. But 60% are the floaters. And if you make a good enough case for them, they will follow you. Just as if the opponents make a good enough case, they will, they will follow oh, them okay. too. Okay. Yeah? So 
my suggestion is empower the 20% who really care about your cause to connect with the 60% who are in the middle okay. and ignore the 20% who don't get it or won't get it because you're wasting your time. Okay, very good. I want to know what the Ontario SPCA means to you. And I'm curious if that has changed over the last 18 months while you've been in touch with us a little bit and dealing with my colleague, Mark. Tell me about that. What's your take on us as an organization? Full disclosure, I've been in Canada for nearly seven years. And my interaction until um, sort of professionally connecting, if you like, with with Mark, Mm -hmm. um, with the OSPCA was limited to zero. Okay. Saw you guys in the news occasionally. I'm from the UK, so the RSPCA is obviously part of my heritage. Mm -hmm. So familiar with the organization and the structure and how it works and why it's there. To be completely honest, tended to think that it was relatively, it was one of those organizations that had just been around for hundreds of years and was probably doing the same thing it had pretty much always done. And it's largely irrelevant, to be honest, but that it had a sort of an emergency service style frontline group of folks that were out there and and taking the dogs and the cats out. And to be completely honest, that was my vision of the organization. Okay. What changed for me was when I sat down a year ago with you guys and saw the passion Mm -hmm. and really saw and was truly moved by how much you care about animals. Right and how much they mean to you, and how much animals and how we treat animals is really an expression of who we are as human beings. And how what we're really saying is that we can be better human beings. Mm -hmm. Now that's a conversation that the OSPCA is not having. It's not penetrating the zeitgeist with that. That I find a really expiring and moving conversation and one I'd like to be a part of. And the reason I'm here today Mm -hmm. is because I want to help you guys. I want to be a part of that conversation. I want to help you guys share that conversation out there because I think it really matters. It does matter. Uh, And and it's funny. I I talk to a lot of donors that I visit with about that passion that you just referred to. It's fascinating to me to be in an organization where it doesn't matter if we're talking about the CEO or we're talking about the receptionist, or me, anyone, everyone's marching to the same beat. It's about the animals, and it's refreshing. And I've got such a tremendous sense of pride when when I talk to donors about the organization I work with. I feel as though, and I've been told this by donors, that that translates. They see that there's a genuine passion and pride in where I work and what we do. And it's not a brochure. It's not something where I leave behind a document with someone and say, this is what I want you to help fund. They see that we care and they hear the stories about we have a CFO who on his lunch hours goes and walks a dog that's been with us for like six months uh, because it's part of an ongoing investigation. Well, you know, he's the CFO. He's a number cruncher. He's got a busy, busy schedule, but every single day, and he he did this. We, We found out by mistake. We found him on a lunch hour one time walking up the road with this dog. I share stories like that and it's just fascinating. So there are a lot of us inside that are drinking the Kool-Aid already and I, I, hope, I hope that you see good things come out of uh, the Ontario SPCA in terms of creating those conversations going forward. I do too. I mean, I, I wish you guys luck and I think that the time has come to change the conversation about what the OSPCA truly stands for mm-hmm. because what I have discovered is that you stand for something much more universal, much more important much more emotionally compelling than what I think people, if you stop them on the street, would say the OSPCA stands for. And so your your job as an organization now is to make that switch for the public and to give people the agency to be part of the solution. Okay. You cannot solve this problem on your own, but mm-hmm. you can and you do have out there people who care about this as much as you do. Sure. Connect with them 
give them a space to be part of a community, to feel that they belong, to feel that they have agency, and give them things that they can do so that they spread the word, so that they take action, and so that collectively participation in this cause grows. And I think you guys have got a great, if you do that, I think you guys have got a great future ahead of you. I've got to ask you something, uh, and then I have one last question. Thinking outside the box, is that a term you hate? What box? Why is there a box? There should never be a box. Okay, so I just, <laughs> I feel like a lot of what you describe is what other people I've heard speak or, or teach describe as thinking outside the box, not non-traditional ways of viewing things. But I never hear you say, think outside the box. And I wonder if that's on purpose that you do. Well, that. if you talk about thinking outside the box, there is this sense that the box is safe and the box is where it should be. And thinking outside the box is the ooh, sexy thing that we're going to do because we've got a conference going on. Yeah. No, this is about humanity. Okay. Walk down the street, ask 100 people if they want a world without animal cruelty, you get 100 people saying yes. If we haven't got that world, it's not the fault of the 100 people. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So this is not about thinking outside the box. This is about saying, you know what, there are a lot of people in this country who want the same thing that we want. Our job is to connect with them in as many possible ways as we can. Organizations used to be vertical, they're now horizontal and networked. Okay. And what I mean by that was we used to live in a world where wherever you were, you had somebody that you reported to and every decision needed to go up and then come back down again. Today, the smart organizations have realized that we are networked and we are horizontal, which means each part of the organization faces a different part of the public, interacts with a different part of the public, and needs to deliver to their expectations um, out of a sense of core messaging and core sense of belief of what it is that we're here for, the stand, if you mm -hmm. like. Yeah? Mm -hmm. IBM used to have, I think it was 12 or maybe 13 different hierarchical levels. And that was already good, and they're down to five now. Wow. 400,000 people, five hierarchical levels. How many guys, how many hierarchical levels do you have for how many staff? Yeah. Apply it to that ratio of IBM, and wow. clearly there's work to do here. Huh. So this is not about thinking outside the box. This is mm -hmm. saying, you know, boxes, we left boxes behind in the 90s. Okay. Let's, let's recognize the world's moving really fast. It's networked. It's symbiotic. This is about creating synergies, about creating agency, and, and, and giving people things that they can do so that collectively we can change the world. Very nice. Collectively, we need to agree whether you're going to be uh, adopting any animals. Do you, uh, you told me earlier you don't have any pets yet. I, I don't have any pets yet. It was very interesting. As this morning <laughs> over breakfast, uh, my wife's come down to the, to the conference and we, we've come down for the weekend together and she was petitioning me to, to have, we, she wants two cats. Right. It's and all a ploy. We invited you here so I, that you can, can help us solve this. the I issue could, of adoption. Uh, yeah. So I can see that I'm being petitioned by my wife. I reckon the two of you have been talking, actually. I reckon <laughs> this is part of a great big scheme. Um, so uh, we don't have any animals at the moment. We do have a five-year-old. I have two children, a five-year-old and an 11-year-old. And it's clear that as part of our family growth, yeah. It's actually hugely important for, for us, my wife and I, that our children have the opportunity to be around animals, to learn about what it's like to be around animals on a day-to-day -day basis. We're very connected to a number of farms. We spend a lot of time um, up at the farms. My 11-year-old has had a milk a cow. Um, so they, we try to keep that connection. Animals, humans, we, we're very connected in that space. But I think it's, it may well be time for us to take that i'll be in touch with I, you I we will, we will you discuss this you will more, be talking John. to my wife i get i get the sense of this listen thank you so much for joining us here on animals voice podcast such a pleasure to talk to you you're one of these people that i've been around once in a while in my career where i can spend five minutes around you or i can spend 50 minutes around you and i always feel like i've, I've learned something new that's a tremendous trait to have. So thank you for that. Thank you for joining us here at our conference and, and for being a guest here on Animal's Voice. That's an incredibly kind thing to say. Thank you, Kevin. It's been a real pleasure. Now, if people would like to learn more about you or about Conversation Farm, where, they, where can they go? 
Um, the Conversation Farm website. Okay. Um, so theconversationfarm.co. Okay. Um, otherwise, Google me. I'm, Google I'm pretty you. easy to find. And my Twitter feed is at John Dushinsky, Skype. Just any way you want to try and whatever works for you. You know what, when we post this, we'll make sure that we include all of that information in the blog so people will be able to click on all of that information and find you easily. A great guest. Thank you so much for joining us Thanks, today. Thanks, Kevin. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you to the uh, listeners of Animals Voice Podcast for all of your support and everything you do, uh, sharing us on social media. We, we hope that we inspire you to join the conversation like John has been talking about. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at OSPCA Kevin. If you have show ideas, I'd also love to hear from you at K. Mackenzie at ospca.on.ca. Until next time, we'll catch you later. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Animals Voice Podcast. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and at our website, ontariospca.ca. Animals Voice Podcast is a production of the Ontario SPCA. The Society would like to thank all our supporters. Together, we are the Animals Voice. 